Living Holistically Well with Dr. Annette West. Again, we will have a myriad of topics, interviews, and engaging words of thought to share with you this season. The purpose of this show is to help us build up our minds, our bodies, and our spirits. And I just want to give a shout out to Creative Common for allowing the show the use of their jazz instrumental, Smooth Jazz. Now, let's get started with Dr. Annette West's topic for today. Greetings, everyone. So this is part two of our interview with Paul Barrett. We talked to him on last week. Powerful interview. Thank you to all of you that have already listened. The flow has been really good. And I really want you to listen to this part as well. I do want you to know that I've talked to Paul about doing a live stream in the podcast group where you'll be able to come in and listen to us dialogue and type your questions in the screen or make your comments with us. And we'll let you know when that's going to take place. But on today, we want to jump back to saying, Welcome to the show again, Paul Barrett. Thank you, Dr. Arnette. It's, it's a great honor and a privilege to be back again. Thank you. Yes. And again, we are talking from, or Paul will be talking mostly, from his book, Detox from a Religious Mindset. Detox from a Religious Mindset. And last week, as we were ending, we were talking a bit about distressed, discontent, and indebted. So can you recap on those three words before we move forward, Paul? Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, the the scripture that came up for that, and as I was writing the book, it it, it came out of the search that uh, David in the cave of Adullam, and it said that he found people in there that were distressed, discontent, and in debt. And I was able to resonate with that in my own personal life. And when I talk about the distress, out of my book, I write, it's a person that is plagued with the feelings of confinement, not knowing who they are or what they are to do with their lives. Now, they have become claustrophobic amongst the sea of believers. And, you know, for the discontent, that those who have suffered great frustration at the hands of others, finding themselves in bitter conflict with what has been taught to what is now being made known, and then those that are indebted, people that have felt that they have given so much of their time uh, volunteering and all of their resources, that they have sacrificed so much of their personal lives in hope of bettering an establishment but unfortunately, they find that there's been little to no return on their investment. 
and it creates a whole a whole dynamic of emotions and feelings ranging from one end of the gambit, one end of the spectrum to the other. And that's where I found myself, very distressed, very discontent, and extremely indebted. Yes, and I think, I can't speak for everyone because I don't know everyone, but I can speak for myself. I've been in that place before, and I know what it feels like. But I, I love that you share with us, even though you're sharing with us, how people can get there and, and how it flows, but also how we can move from there. So that's a great thing. Now, in your book, you you talk about the sons of Ishakar. Can you share on that with us? Yeah, the, the sons of Ishakar, they were a very profound group of people. And in scripture, it talks about that these people were able to understand the times and the seasons. And I really believe that we have functioning individuals throughout the world that are like the sons of Issachar. They're able to see the up-and-coming trends that are coming in the body of Christ. They're, they're able to recognize through revelation what is going to be taking place uh, throughout the world. And these, these key individuals really have a significant impact if we'll allow them to speak and if we ourselves will embrace what they're what they're saying, and they're, they're prophetic people, they're people with the ability to hear very very clearly from God, and they speak of a future. They they speak of movements. They speak of times and seasons that that are coming. And you know, we we right now, especially in twenty twenty need to be very keen and very alert to some of these people that are speaking profound things for the next decade. And we, we, we can't afford to miss it because we're in such a pivotal time, not just in this nation, but throughout the world. Amen. So, so what you're saying is there are some that God has spoken to that they have, that he has given them a word for the people and we need to be in tune to the Lord so that we may know when it is from the Lord? Absolutely. Okay. You know, I, for so long, I think the prophetic and the apostolic individuals that function throughout the world, uh, some of them have been misunderstood. Mm -hmm. And, you know, unfortunately, there are those out there who title themselves, but that's not what I'm talking about. We have to create a prophetic culture within culture. We have to create the ability to see and respond to individuals that really do have the voice of the Lord and that they can speak uh, of the economy. They can speak about political figures. They can speak concerning uh, what innovations or what discoveries may be taking place. And also when we become positioned in certain aspects in our own life, you know, have we taken have we taken a role as a son of Issachar? Because mm. we also need to know directly from the Lord where he wants us positioned. Mm. And I think that so many of us lose lose the fact that God really is interested in the details of our lives. And you know, when we when we reference the sons of Issachar, when we 
reference the apostolic and the prophetic culture, you know, sometimes, and this may seem very strange, but sometimes we can hear a prophetic word from an unbeliever and completely disagree with it and completely just disregard it when it's God speaking. And that may come as a shock to some people, but God uses people to even speak to his own body. Yeah, and I guess if he can use a donkey, he can use anybody he so chooses, right? <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. That's good. Um, <clears throat> you talk um, also in your book about the Gospels Project, and you say it's a, you know, um, it's a very simple message to send, to gather, to preach, and to disciple. Mm-hmm. How do you see that really, do you see that going forward today? I see it going forward as a, a, a continued project or of a continued um, structure that's in the church. And we have, I think we've fallen into this type of format that has become almost, oh, I'm trying to think of the right word to put it without, without sounding offbeat here, but it's almost become cookie cutter mm. in its approach mm-hmm. to the way that we move in society. And I, I certainly understand and I certainly totally agree with the fact that people need to hear the gospel. We need to reach to the lost. Absolutely. The word of the Lord has to be preached. But I think we have set such a, um, a format around how we do this that it's very difficult for us to move outside of that box and that understanding and and take it from a different perspective that wherever you're planted, God can use you because the kingdom of God is within you. And the, the perspective is if we're hearing and if we're listening to what God is doing, where we are placed, then we can have uh, quite an effect on the place that where we work, where we conduct business, uh, even, even in the grocery store, it, So many people have, I wouldn't say everybody's been offended by the gospel, but there are a lot of people now that when you go up to them and approach them and start talking to them about the Lord, some respond, some turn a blind eye and walk away. Mm -hmm. Well, what if we come at it from a different perspective? And if we come alongside these people and learn to love and learn to be compassionate and learn to have an hearing ear for their lives, then we, we are able to build capacity and we're able to build a relationship with them where they begin asking us questions instead of us trying to push a discipleship program on their lives. Mm, that's good. You said in your book, <clears throat> We do a very good job of feeding and equipping the spirit in winning souls, but we do a very poor job of equipping their body and their soul. And, and you and I had a little off-cuff discussion last week about, well, yeah, about my book and what I'm doing and looking at the mind, the body, and the spirit, not just the spirit, but making sure that everything is holistically aligned. Absolutely. I mean, for 
25 years when we were in the churches that we were in, we were very much on top of everything spiritually. I mean, there were there were spiritual manifestations. There were spiritual words that were coming through. There was prayer. There was healings. There was deliverance, and it was taken a hundred percent from a spiritual standpoint. And as the years went by, and I believe I mentioned that this last time, that inside myself, I could feel my soul hurting because it was empty hmm. and i and i felt that i could not speak to anybody about it because it didn't sound spiritual it made me sound weak and i had to present myself felt that i had to present myself in a strong spiritual demeanor but uh, under that facade was a hurting man hmm. and body and soul and you know i am a firm believer that, you know, people that go through spiritual encounters with God, that he highlights specific things in their lives and they deal with, whether it be generational curses, whether it be familiar spirits, whether it be activity that needs to be really put under the blood. Um, but even after that, I believe that people should sit with the clinical therapists. I think mm. that it's very advantageous for them to really sit and speak to a professional and not feel guilty about it because mm -hmm. that is one side of the soul, the soul and mind that doesn't get a lot of dealings with. And then even on the, you know, our physical bodies, we've got to take care of what God has given us. We can't, we, we, we can't put trauma on our bodies by not living healthy, by not understanding some level of exercise because He's invested so much in us, he doesn't want you taken out early because of whatever things that people are addicted to that uh, cut their, their body down and, and, and make them, have them incur a, a terrible sickness. God wants us whole, body, soul, and spirit. That's good. He wants us whole, body, mind, and spirit. And I think that is so important. And I think also we become more holistically well as we begin to, as God shows us different things and we begin to pay a better attention. In your book, you talked about how, you know, for a span of time, you were, you, you were engaged with powerful leaders um, you were captivated by how they engaged. You fell into that flow. And then um, that was what you were exposed to. And so until we are exposed to something different, then what we have been exposed to is all we know. It's absolutely correct. I mean, my wife and I constantly have conversations about the generations that are behind us and then the generations that are in front of us and we look at how people have acted and reacted and have a specific mindset about certain things and been exposed to certain things or certain people and that and our conversation just ends up uh, by saying this is all that they know this is 
all that they were taught. This is all that they were that they experienced in life. And unfortunately, people be can become so ingrained in a specific pattern or a specific um, thinking or a specific mindset that it's extremely difficult for them to break out of that mode. And even in our own lives, when we do something repetitive, repetitively day after day after day, you try and change that. It's, it takes discipline to redo something or to change a pattern of behavior or to change a way of thinking, uh, to change it to another different mode. Mm. And I, I, I look at the past generations and I say, yeah, this is what they know. But I really do believe that my generation, this baby boomer generation, I was born in 1963, mm -hmm. my wife was born in 1964, I believe that we have, do not have an excuse, and I was talking to my wife about that today, we don't have an excuse now not to change. We yes. must be able to change simply because the generations ahead of us are changing so fast and they're so much different than what we have understood. And we don't make the switch. I think that we're going to miss some great opportunities that the Lord is presenting and bringing about in our lives. Mm, that's good. That's good. And so I, I like how you talk about you know, it's like you're not pointing fingers at other people where you fell short. You're you're acknowledging that you were out of balance and and then recognizing that you have been short sighted, which is what we should do. And then say, now that I realize that now I can get my vision clearer in the things of the Lord. Absolutely. Uh, several times in the book, I, I have to keep referencing that I'm not holding anybody accountable for my actions or for what I believe. And, you know, I, I made the choices that I made to serve the way I did, to give up so much of my time because of my thinking, because I thought this was the way it was supposed to be done in reference to what I was being taught. Well, as time has progressed, I begin to think a little bit differently. And it's not that I've thrown everything out that I've learned, right. but I've had added to it because I know that there's more. And I once had a, a, a gentleman years and years ago, and he looked at me, and this was, was, was a prophetic person that came through our church, and he said, you're only functioning at 50% of your capability. Mm. And that that word has stuck with me for 15, 20 years. I think it's at least 20 years old, the word. And it, it pays us to go back to the words of the Lord that he's spoken over our lives because now we can have greater clarity. And in my case, understanding that that 50% meant that there was that 50% much more for me to learn and understand. And that was a breakthrough moment for me because because of that word, I knew that there was that much more that I had to change my way of thinking. I had to adapt to the word of the Lord. I had to adapt to what God was saying. And I had to be able to listen to people that weren't, that, that were on the cutting edge, but they weren't looked at 
so kindly, let's put it that way, from the main administration of the church. Mm-hmm. That's really, that's really good. And I think we, um, you know, like you say in your book and, and something that we all have to consider, um, what is our purpose? You know, what is our, what is our passion? Um, who was it that wrote the purpose driven life? Um, you know, that Rick Warren, I think it was. And that, that was such, that was such a big to do in a lot of churches. But I didn't I didn't see where people really walked away, really knowing really what their purpose was, other than the fact that they went through it a lot of times. But how do we really get to that point where we look at our lives and we can say this isn't working right? Lord, show me my purpose. Is, is there is there a particular way that the Lord will show us our purpose? Is it often that we may already be doing what our purpose is and we don't realize it? I think it's that and so many more facets okay. of this conversation because, I mean, for me, it took me listening to certain individuals that provoked me to dig deeper into my own life. And for me, and actually for a lot of people, it caused me to go back all the way back to my childhood say, okay, what? did I find myself doing? What were some of the things I found myself being good at? And for me, I used to love to take things apart. I had a difficult time putting them back together, but I loved, I loved working with my hands. And a lot of my life was spent in construction. And that, that was, they were seasons of growth in my life. And I was in the business realm. As, as a contractor but it didn't stop there and I think I think some of the things that we get hung up on is that you know we see ourselves doing a specific job and we look at that and say that's it for the rest of my life and we use that as an excuse because one we can't see or are afraid to see into the future and two we're also afraid to connect with a passion or a dream that's in our heart because we think we're too old or we've lost sight of it or we feel that we're not good enough to do it or what I found in so many people's lives is it doesn't sound spiritual enough to do. Mm -hmm. And so we, we, we end up in our minds with a greater conflict that it's like our heads and our minds have become a pinball machine. Mm. And we constantly say, Lord, show me which way to go. Lord, mm -hmm. show me what to do. Lord, um, I'm praying about this. What do I do about this? Where do I go? How do and we, we ask the Lord so many questions every day. And I'm not, again, I'm not against that. I pray and I ask God for direction too. But there's, that it comes down to a simple thing like this. If you have been with the Lord for X number of years, he has to get to a point to, in your life where he says to you, listen, you've been with me for this number of years. I trust you to make a decision without me having to tell you what to do every single time. That's good. And so, you know, it's, it's like a child are you going to chat, are you going to tell your 22-year-old son or daughter what to wear, 
what to pack for their lunch, what route to take to work, how to conduct themselves at work, how to spend their money and do this, that, and the other. And there has to become a time where they become responsible and they also take initiative to do what they feel that they need to do. And God's not going to let us jump off a cliff. Mm-hmm. And, he's, and if we're mature enough in the Lord, we're not going to be doing stupid things anyway. Come on. So <laughs> it's a right. matter of taking the first step and saying, Lord, this is a passion in my life. This is something I've decided to do for a long, long time. I'm going to I'm gonna go ahead this year, and I'm going to start this project, and I'm going to see where it goes. And sometimes it just takes that one first step to initiate the process. Mm, that's, that's good. That's really good. Also, in, in your book, um, you, said, you, you made a comment <clears throat> from your research, and you talk about how it had been suggested that 5% of people who come to the Lord are called into full-time ministry. Um, you mentioned the apostle, the prophet, the pastor, the evangelist, and the teacher, plus the support staff. Then you go on to say that the remaining 95% function outside of the church in areas God has called them to. However, it would appear that higher than 5% of people are called to ministry in the church today, as many clamor to be seen and heard from pulpits and platforms around the globe. And I think I also saw in the book where you talked about um, there's only a minute uh, percentage of people who are these big wigs that we see in the media, um, that we see on TV, that we see in social media, you know, the T.D. Jakes, the, the Paula Whites, the, you know, there's a select group. There's a select group. And so the reality is most are not going to get to platforms like that. So therefore, if they're not going to get to platforms like that, where does their platform need to be if only really 5% need to be in the leadership in the body? Absolutely. And going back to what I stated earlier, my mindset, my understanding was that as I came up through the church, as I watched and observed what was going on, and that I was enamored by certain individuals that were very prophetic in nature, that knew the word inside and out, that were, that were apostolic in, in what they did, the healings that took place, absolutely phenomenal. And my mindset was, okay, if I want to serve the Lord in, in some great degree, I have to be elevated to this kind of a position. And after a certain amount of time, I'm like, no, that's not the case. I don't have to be on a pulpit or on a platform in a church or doing some worldwide mission or some worldwide evangelistic uh, setting to be called of God. Mm. And there are there are select people. And this... This does present a little bit of a, a quandary for, for people who are in the church now, because a lot that we come in contact with, they will say that they're they are called to ministry, they're called into the body of Christ, they're called to function in the church. And they really need to take inventory of themselves and say, is this truly of God, or am I manufacturing a word from God? Do I feel pressured into do it? Or is, is it something that I feel secure and safe doing because that's all I know? And we as believers, 
the 95% of us need to be able to find our platform or our pulpit in culture. And what I mean by that is identifying your assignment from God, understanding your gifts, talents, and abilities, and how they connect, connect with a dream, passion, and a desire. And once you begin to navigate these areas, you begin to be drawn to a specific arena or a specific sphere of influence and culture, whether it whether you're called into banking, whether you're called into in, into the political arena or arts and entertainments, whether you're called into business or as, as a lawyer, a doctor, or in the medical field, whatever it may be, you have to really be able to find your field of favor. That is a term that's being used a lot right now. Find your field of favor. In other words, get into a place where God has you assigned for this season and let it grow you through it. So it continues to prepare you and build capacity within you for future projects, future seasons, where you will finally fully embrace your, your destiny in God. That's, that's, that's powerful. That's really powerful. I'm really going to be taking my time to listen through this really, really good because you're really putting some meat on the table for me. <clears throat> One of the things, <laughs> no, 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 you're good. So um, you talk in your book about, um, you know, what is ministry, what ministry should look like. And uh, you, you talk about something that we've seen a lot of issues with in the media. And um, so I just want to kind of like touch on that. And you talk about how um, I think in the last couple of years, We've seen a lot of ministers commit suicide. Um, there's um, a lot of ministers that are depressed. Um, you know, a lot of ministers working, you know, 80 hours, 80 hours a week. Um, family issues, divorce, um, temptation, negative effects. Why do you think there is so much of this going on? Or has it always been going on and we're just seeing it more because maybe social media and the media brings it to the forefront? I think that has a lot to do with it. The social media side of things has really made it very, very visible for us where 15, 20, 25 years ago, we wouldn't hear probably 80% of what we're hearing nowadays. I think a lot of it has to do with burnout. I think a lot of it did these ministers are coming under significant attacks from the from the world of darkness from the devil himself and it's, it's causing a lot of anxiety and a lot of distress in their lives um there are other aspects to it and that this is something i have to be careful how i navigate around mm -hmm. because i don't i don't want people to feel that well you know this person took his life or that person uh, fell into sin or, or divorced because they weren't called to be at the pulpit. Uh, that's not my call to make. And that's something that they have to sit with the Lord about. But there has been a great assault on, on freedom when it comes to religion throughout the world. And I think that there's a lot of st unnecessary stress that's put on pastors 
they try to jump through hoops, they try to make things happen, they try to fulfill voids that are left in, in their congregations. They're, they are running anywhere from 60 to 80 hours a week. Some of them have, have a secular job as well as being full-time in ministry because it, it doesn't pay the bills. It, it's not necessarily a, a prosperous career unless you are in a megachurch or something or you're, you have the ability to uh, bring in additional income through the sales of books and whatever it may be. But there is an onslaught of attacks upon ministry and we need to look at the ministers and the pastors and their platforms and really take take it seriously that they do need our support that they do need prayer and for those that are definitely called it's definitely a, a season where we need to gather around them and and shield them and protect them because if you take out the head then the sheep gets scattered and mm -hmm. the enemy would love to do that. Mm, that's that's good. That's good. You talk also about the vision, the vision of the local of the local church. Um, and also that some have lost sight of of that vision. You also talked about um people looking at themselves and asking themselves, why do they attend this particular uh, grouping this uh, uh, this particular assembly and I was in agreement in your comment where you said um, I have attended several churches over the years and found one thing to be common with most of them people typically attend a church for one or all of these three reasons and I hear this all the time the way the place looks the worship style and the preaching and and I agree with your final statement very rarely will someone say they attend because of the corporate vision so so if people are not attending for the right reason, what 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 is the outcome for them? If they're not attending for the right reason, I mean, and, and we can liken this up to just getting a dead-end job just to fill a need. <laughs> and that may sound, sound a little extreme or... No, that, that was good. It's, you know, it, it's the same way. Well, I'll go to this church because my friends go and I like the pastor. Well, okay, but isn't that kind of like uh, just a facade thing, a feeling thing? Or I go to this go to this church because the worship is phenomenal. And a lot of people do that. And that's great if you've got a great worship team. That's awesome. And there's, there's nothing, I don't think there's anything more powerful than bringing the presence of the Lord or the presence of the Lord coming down on it on a congregation because the worship is so powerful and but all in all what i believe individuals need to be looking for is to be in direct correlation with a church that has a vision that is like theirs and we have followed the vision of the house no matter where we go all our lives because we have been connected with many facilities many churches and we have embraced the vision that's why we stayed there but what happened over time is that and you know to some to some listeners this may sound selfish but i wasn't able to connect the vision that i had with the vision of the house because i wasn't looking 
I wasn't looking at this from a give and take scenario because I, I believe that if I am called to a specific arena, if I have a vision for, let's say, business or entrepreneurs, I want to go and attend a church where I have the lead ministry or the or the lead staff or the elders or however the structure is, is, is conducted that have avenues and that have connections and that have influence into entrepreneurial areas in the community. This way, I support the vision of the house. It connects with my vision and then it, it, it's a full circle because then I want to give more of my time and more of my effort into supporting that vision because it encourages and engages in me. And one of the things we are lacking is that a lot of ministers don't take the time to connect with the visions of the people that are sitting in the pews of the congregation because we're all somewhat expected to follow the vision of the house and as a ministry some of them don't realize that the vision that we carry helps elevate and enlarge the vision of the entire church mm, that's oh, wow <clears throat> and i guess um in your book um this is kind of our time is winding down, believe it or not. Um, but you made a, a, a really strong statement when you said, if our lives are restricted by our service to the church, then we have missed an important part of what God desires us, us to do through, through us in the marketplace. If our lives are restricted by our service to the church, then we have missed an important part of what God desires to do through us in the marketplace. Speak to that real quick before we end. Absolutely. If, if our lives are just so ingrained about being involved in the church and the four walls, and that's all that we see, our gifts and talents being utilized, then we've missed the very deposit God's placed in our lives to start with. Because if we are not called to full-time ministry, um, we're called to the marketplace. Now, I don't have I don't have issue with people volunteering their time. We the church needs volunteers. It's one of the largest organizations that functions solely on volunteers to have it continue to work. So I'm not against volunteering. But if you have put every egg in the basket that's inside the four walls, you could very well be missing a, a, a potential opportunity for you to influence your environment, your culture, your society, and your city by the things God's put on your life. And, you know, I, I wrote this one statement, and it, it's a tough statement, but I'm going to say it anyway. We have given our souls to the Lord. The Lord saved our souls, which is the the premier of our acceptance in Christ, which without that, you can't enter the kingdom. But I say this, so many <clears throat> have sold their soul to the church. Mm. And that's, that's a tough statement. And I, <laughs> I may regret saying that, but I think the fact of the matter is we have to get to a point where we shake ourselves enough that we say we have to get out of the format of just working inside four walls and we need to get out into our cities 
to be actively engaged in what God has called us to do and the very assignment on our lives that we need to connect and usher in the kingdom. Because we're kingdom people, we're kingdom ambassadors, we carry the word of a king, we're kings and queens, and we're sent out into the marketplace with a message. We still carry the message of the kingdom, but it just highlights upon all the gifts and talents that God's already deposited in us Amen. to do what he's called us to do. Amen. Amen. Well, I believe, again, just as, just as in last week, the listeners are going to be enriched from this interview. So we're going to stop right there. I want to tell everybody how much we appreciate Paul Barrett for being on the show again, for sharing with us his depth of insight, sharing how the Lord has spoken in his life and giving us some meat to chew on. Thank you again, Paul. Thank you very much, Dr. Annette. It's been a great privilege. And I, I really hope that people understand the spirit that I speak with and that this can really, really impact their lives in a very positive way. Amen. Amen. And listen, you all, this is like the kind of book that I want to keep on my shelf. So make sure you go out and you get a copy of Paul's book, Detox from a Religious Mindset. If you know somebody who also has a religious mindset, get a copy for them too, okay? And thanks again, Paul. And we're going to be talking to you again soon. Amen. Thank you very much. As we close, I want to thank you for tuning in. Please subscribe on your favorite platform so you will receive notifications for this show. Share a comment and give a five-star rating. Join the mailing list at drannettewestministries.org. And while there, check out what's going on in our world. Also, purchase a copy of Dr. West's newest book, Holistic Wellness, Mind, Body, Spirit, on DrAnnetteWestMinistries.org and Amazon. Don't forget to follow Dr. West on social media. Mm.